in order for us to preserve our beautiful world for future generations, we need everyone to bring their talents, their interests, and get involved. And some people just need to understand how they can use their talents in the green economy. And one entrepreneur who is doing just that is Shelby Thomas, CEO of Ocean Rescue Alliance. She is finding ways to engage an even larger audience through art. She specifically works to restore ocean habitats by creating artificial reefs that are not only beneficial in mimicking ocean habitat, but are also works of art in themselves. So make sure you stay tuned for this entire episode to see how Shelby is combining science, art, and business to engage more people in the movement to preserve and restore our amazing world. You're here for another dose of climate positivity on the Green Business Impact Podcast. Here we highlight the amazing work of green businesses from around the world that are fighting against climate change. If you are ready to be inspired to take action, ready to hear some amazing examples of how we are working to fight the climate crisis, then stay tuned because this week's episode will be the perfect hit of climate positivity. All right, Shelby, do you mind telling me about Ocean Rescue Alliance and what you guys Yeah, absolutely. So we're a marine conservation and restoration nonprofit organization, primarily specializing in designing artificial infrastructure for different biological purposes. So we've really focused on a variety of artificial reefs that are both biofunctional to help the marine environment, create fish habitat, and aid in restoration but we also uniquely use art as a tool to connect the public to the ocean. So we have various initiatives. We're expanding, started here in Florida, and we're looking to expand throughout the world to really connect and engage communities through art, but more impactfully create restoration sites that can help protect coastlines, restore marine environments, and create fish habitat. That's really awesome. And when you talk about this infrastructure, what is, can you give us some examples? Yeah, so, you know, we have so much advancement in technology and different designs now that we can be very strategic with how we design habitat for marine environments. And so what we do is design artificial structure or even seawall enhancements and different adaptive solutions using artificial structure to marine restoration and really solve different functional issues that we're needing to do the restoration or mitigation with for the marine environments. And so some good examples are with our artificial reefs, we design them to more closely mimic what a natural reef looks like compared to really the last 50 plus years, our artificial reef programs have really been trashable. Uh, construction pilings, boulders, culverts, and ships, and although ships may be fun to dive and attract very large fish, it's very different functionally from a natural reef ecosystem. So what we really try to target is designing reefs to actually really mimic that complexity of habitat to support fisheries, to support scaling restoration. And so that's really what we're doing with infrastructure as well as the side of coastal resilience. So we're looking to try to create more sustainable solutions that can help reduce wave energy and act as a breakwater like a natural reef would to help really protect against coastal erosion, but in, in lieu of doing beach renourishment and things like that might be a little more destructive. Yeah, definitely. So 
with you making these artificial structures more adequate to what the, an actual reef would look like, how are you in these structures? Because the ship is, oh, it's an old ship. We'll sink it over in this part of the ocean and that's where it'll go. But how are you developing this structure? Yeah, that's a great question. Right now we work with several different reef builders, which we doubt and to use some of our different designs. And that's actually created by a variety of different molds and then a lot of handwork. So to get these really finite habitats, it's a little bit more labor intensive, but we use a pH neutral cement. So it's actually environmentally friendly mix that incorporates natural minerals like basalt fibers and calcium carbonate, which is what coral skeletons are. So we really make them through a variety of different molds that will then cast and then do some handwork for further details. So we're looking at even in the future, looking at new technologies and innovations to make reefs more strategically, potentially doing 3D printing. We have not tried that yet, but that is in the cards for testing out in the future, especially as we've been advancing drastically with 3D printing materials, even for houses and construction. So we're interested in looking at that as well in the future. That's really awesome. And right now, when you get them out, do they have, they have like a machines that are putting these together or is it like an individual person? Like, how is that? Looking. It's a bit of both. Essentially creating the mold is done by a machine and just like a CNC machine that we can make different molds, whether that's the artistic side, that's really what we use that for. And then a team would come in and actually do the hand casting uh, on the mold. So it, it just really depends on which type of structure we're doing. But it, in, in general, it takes both. It takes both machine as well as bringing on a team of a few people to build out a full reef module. And that on average is about, you know, five feet by five feet is one what we call reef module. And we try to do, whenever we do reef deployments for an artificial reef, we try to at least do 20 plus structures at the minimum. That's a good size ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. How definitely. far apart are they? Yeah. So typically we try to get them closer together because the more densely that you have the habitat, the more biomass that you can recruit and the fish are less aggressive over protecting the habitat, I guess I would say. So we try to aim for five to 10 feet of spacing. Some of that's also contingent on funding. So if we're, if we have funding for the barge, we also then have to, if we're wanting to be more strategic about placement, we have to have funding to move them once they're down in the water with lift bags to exactly where we want. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it's more like an approximate, like, okay, we're about where we want to be. We drop and then you have to go in there and shimmy it to where you want it to go. Yeah. In a sense. And I mean, it's, we use different contractors so that the barge will take them out these large structures that are about 3,000 pounds on average, and then actually drop them in the ocean with a crane over the barge. And then from there, we can actually strategically place them based off of using divers with lift bags that can lift that capacity and we can move them further, closer together if needed. But actually the, the accuracy of a lot of the cranes have been pretty efficient that we haven't had to do too much after the fact. So that's nice. Oh, that's good. That's good. And how long do these structures last down there? Is it like they can extend perpetually or is there a, like a lifespan on these structures? Yeah. So we do stability test analyses. So they're built to weather at least 50 year storm events. They're very durable and strong. They've been tested against different hydrodynamic forces. So we anticipate them to last a long time. They certainly won't just degrade actual materials, very stable and has, again, it's eco-friendly, so it's not leaching anything negative into the environment. So that's great. Definitely. And is there a potential for the structures to grow over time, like with a coral 
becoming stabilized. Like, do you see this as being seeds for a full, like, natural coral reef? Or is that, like, too long in the future to know? Yeah, no, that's absolutely a goal in areas where corals are present. And that's a nice thing with putting out artificial structure. All kinds of biomass will start start growing and recruiting different benthic recruitment. So we actually will enhance that with outplanting corals, oysters, or mangroves directly onto the structure. So what we call an applied restoration approach where we'll put out these structures strategically and then do natural restoration on it to actually enhance that and create a nursery. So our hopes are to really transform these, especially in South Florida, into nursery bases that can facilitate aiding in coral restoration and create its own coral reef. We're on our way to do that. And I really see artificial reefs being a tool and creating what I call a habitat corridor in the water where a lot of parts of the Florida Keys where we're having some coral recruitment issues, it's really because there's reproductive adults that are too far away from each other to actually reproduce. So now if we can actually take reefs and link the gap between reef systems, we can actually create what we call habitat connectivity. And so that's really where I think reef artificial structure can play a tool in creating reefs in areas that might be in better growing conditions might be out of the path of disease and might aid in further expanding reefs and really creating this infrastructure. So I'm pretty excited. It's been a long haul in terms of getting the permits and policies and everything in place to be able to do endangered species restoration. We're not really quite there with that yet, but we've had several permits to really explore this. And I think it will be something of the future that will be very important for restoration. Definitely. No, that's really awesome. And how do you incorporate art into your structures? Yeah, I really fell in love with art as a way to connect the public back to the ocean. And I think it's been used for centuries for connecting community and culture and being very big signatories of different cultural change and shifts and like hard times and throughout humanity, it's a way of people express themselves without words. So I think it can be very symbolic where we can use a very strategic art initiative to bring awareness to the problems plaguing our oceans and be very intentional with how we design it to engage that local community. So our biggest project in Florida is the A Thousand Mermaids Artificial Reef, but I'm personally more excited about one we're doing in Mexico. We're working with Mayan community to do a, a serpent deity called the Fluquan. So it's our first culturally relevant reef site. And I think that can really speak to how we can really get connected with the immediate culture and not only bring awareness to the culture, but serve that community as a whole and provide an economic service by it's a dive destination. It creates a pathway to do restoration for the community. And more importantly, this helps bring awareness to the marine environment and help restore it at the same time. Yeah, that's really great. And how did you go about finding out how to incorporate that culture and bring that into the structure you were bringing? Yeah, so I initially got on the board of the A Thousand Mermaids Project, and they initially reached out to me because they wanted to be able to put these corals on mermaids that they wanted to put on rocks. And I was like, you're probably not gonna be able to do that, but I think this is really interesting. And like, we could do a lot more strategic design here and then perhaps we could put corals on them, but we're gonna have to do a variety of different checks before that's even possible. And so that's how I really got interested into it. Liked the mermaids initiative, but I really think that we could get in depth. I guess I'm more of like a psychological mind perspective, I could see an envisionment where you could really engage culture and community, but also engage corporations and create this responsibility for 
any hotels that are on a coastline to be a part of the solution in a way that does get them a return on an investment and it does support their business needs, but they're doing a good thing at the same time. Because otherwise it's hard to really um, ask or even get businesses involved into doing restoration, even though if they're benefiting from these resources, you don't see them often participating in doing any restoration activities. So this is a, a way that it's very customizable. And that's where I really saw our as a tool to also help fund doing the needed work that we need to do. Yeah, that's great because it can really become a part of a landmark for people to come and visit because it's something cool, something you didn't, you never seen before. You're going to go there just because, oh, there's this really cool structure there that's, it's pretty to look at. It's not just a sunken ship or something like that, but it's something that, that you can appreciate its value there. And that's really awesome. I really like that. And what is your background in order for you to start like combining? these together, this the ocean restoration side and the kind of artistic side. Do you have that in your background? Is it something you're both really passionate about? You just merge them together? How did that come about for you? Yeah, I think I've always loved art, but also in the same sense, I think everyone's an artist in whatever discipline you're in, whether you're an engineer or a scientist or some type of problem solver, it's an art. You're just expressing it differently. And I think from coming from my background, I've seen and been frustrated with as a scientist, just seeing the lack of funding, but also creativity in the scientific space and the drastic need to like engage the public on a very different dynamic level that can actually encourage them to participate and be part of solutions. And so that's what really got me interested in combining the two because I've just seen how limited funding and competitiveness creates this somewhat political space that hinders restoration in what I'm here to do and what I love to do. And how can you get people interested in, in little fundamentals of science? People may never care about coral restoration or let's just say oysters or certain fish species. But if you take it into a broader context of involving different art pathways, it gives a new lens to look at the problem. And so that's really what inspired me to connect the two, because I think it's a good, good path to do that in a very non-scientific specific way. Yeah, definitely. And I think we need to do as a whole, like around the world, we need really to focus on how we can connect with those people who aren't your climate zealots out there. Those people who are just like really passionate about it, understand it, like all, all for it and are out there searching the news on it and like listening to it. There are those people and you're going to convince them easily. All you gotta do is say, you know, your first lines and they're like, oh, wow, I'm all on board. But then you major chunk in the middle of, and you're always going to have that, that chunk on the bottom, which is never going to even consider and are going to hate you saying anything. But you have that middle chunk, that big, large middle chunk that you've got to be able to convince too. And you got to be able to show them the importance and really connect with them on their values so that they can connect with this movement as well, because it's going to take all of us. It's not just going to take the, the, the top percent and it's going to take that big chunk in the middle. That's what's going to help us take this movement to the next level with whether that's coral restoration and being able to save our oceans and help preserve them, or it's the climate or it's any movement out there. You got to get that big chunk in the middle. So I think that's really good of finding a new way to connect with them through art, which a lot of people can connect with, to just be able to see and appreciate beauty, which is great. I love that. 
Yeah. And I think one more point to that too, I think I've seen issues even within restoration spaces for people to actually engage and make an impact, right? Lots of people would be willing to help, but they're like, how can I, how can I help? I really wanted to create a pathway where people could on an individual level, make an impact that's tangible. They can see it. We have an adopt a coral program all the way up to, you can get a celebratory or memorial reef, or even a plaque that supports constructing a reef. So you can actually come and see it, feel it, touch it, see the growth over time. And I think it's a good way, especially from the memorial side where we're just running out of space in general for people to live. And I think we're needing to do more environmentally friendly burial alternatives. So why not create a reef that your loved one can now support marine environments for generations to come instead of visiting a kind of depressing tombstone that's on land. It's a very different dynamic experience even if you're diving into a world full of life and it's a good way to contribute to the environment and also get into kind of the psychology of now people might think on a daily basis a little bit more about their impact to the environment if their grandmother had a reef or if they had a tree they'd think a little bit more because they're personally connected back to that cause and so i think that's drastically needed with any environmental issue is we lack that personal connection so we try to create opportunities where people can achieve that. And I think that's necessary for anything. Yeah, I completely agree. I love that, especially getting that personal side, because it's like whenever somebody might, if grandma's got a artificial reef out there, they're thinking about grandma and just reminded of them at different points during the day. And then that's automatically linked to the artificial reef too. And so then it can start a whole thought process down whole thinking about artificial reefs and oh man I wish I could do more and oh how can I do more and then maybe they go up and search something online so all these little triggers can be really impactful so I, I love that I think that's great and you also have educational programs on your website and that you guys do as well too right can you talk a little bit about yeah one of the things I really am also passionate about is really increasing the accessibility to marine resources but also just the education of them too I think ocean ecosystems is not taught enough in terms of the importance to our life. We live on earth because of our oceans. If we did not have our oceans, we would not be alive, period. They influence all of our weather patterns. And a lot of people don't know those fundamentals. And so ocean health is critical to us living. And that a very wide lens, there's of course like different micro problems. And so we really want to try to engage, especially the younger generations into becoming part of the solution, but also create different programs. So we have a citizen science program where people can come and die with us, do monitoring, beach cleanups, things like that. But we're also getting ready to release a virtual and augmented reality where people can actually dive from their computer or their phone and learn about marine conservation, learn about doing coral restoration, but they can experience it if you live in the middle of the U.S. or if you actually can't dive at all, if you have a medical restriction for doing it. So I think it's important to give people an immersive experience that can be another educational experience as well. So we're trying to incorporate things like that. And I'd love to, in the future, develop more programs where we can go into schools more often and actually like teach different fundamental things, whether that's like within physics, but using like ocean tech, like focuses to teach that physics. So that can be implemented at a large level, but we're getting there. So right now we have various citizen science programs and research and public events, and we're getting ready to launch. It's a six lesson platform on virtual and augmented reality. 
That's awesome. And have you already produced the virtual reality program or is it it's something you're doing in the future? So we're already in the midst of doing it. We're working actually with a PhD student. His name's Trey Lee and he's more of a developer for virtual and augmented reality, but has love and passion for environment and restoration. So we got together and kind of came up with these different lesson platforms to be able to engage students. We're mainly targeting middle through high school, but it could be, anyone could learn. You could be any age and participate. So we're hoping to have that available in the next few months. That's really cool. And what are the topics inside of that lesson? So we talked just in general about ocean conservation and problems plaguing the oceans, but we mainly focus on reef systems. So we talk about coral reefs, issues plaguing coral reefs like disease, but all the other issues from pollution to ocean acidification and things like that. And then another module is talking about restoration, the different applications of that, and then how we do restoration with corals and then taking it another level to further expanding the different use cases of the needs of coral reefs and using artificial reefs as well. So it's a six to seven stage lessons that will walk you through different experiences, through experiential learning. Some of it's more gamified versus informational. So you can have different experiences depending on what you'd like to participate in, whether you'd want to do something that's more of a game. So we have one where you can outplant corals using different techniques, even constructing your own reef and learning, oh, if I don't create this diverse habitat, this small fish is going to be eaten by the shark because he has nowhere to hide or by the grouper. So the direct decisions that you make designing the habitat will impact if you have a good fish community. So it's teaching the ecological niches through that kind of lens. Yeah, that's really cool because having that ability to get people engaged in that way is really awesome. I love that. And having that game of find is going to make it so much more interesting, which is great. I love that. And you guys also have some NFTs up here on your website and how does that work if somebody's interested how do they get involved in that yeah so the non-fungible tokens is just like the digital art and it's something that we've worked with a variety of artists now and quite honestly we have I guess seen as much support through NFTs but I do see the value and it's obviously a very expanding market where we could do a lot with it for good we have some unique art pieces that we have listed on our site. You can visit it. We have them li listed on a variety of different platforms like OpenSea and Wax and other things that people could purchase NFTs on already. So they're there listed. If anyone's interested, they can check out our website and look at which NFTs we have. And the unique thing about our NFTs is they're all linked to a direct restoration or conservation goal. So they have a utility of you can come on a dive with us. You can, you actually helped out plant a coral and each one will describe what kind of impact it's making. So it's not just the art. It's been really exciting. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that evolves as well. Cause I think it could be another creative pathway to fundraise and engage people. Yeah, definitely. That's great. How many different NFTs do you have? I'd say we have about 10 right now, but we're also getting ready to launch the A Thousand Mermaids NFTs, and that will actually mm -hmm. be different packs that you could enter. And our goal is for that full fundraising, if we were to sell all of those NFTs to fulfill our A Thousand Mermaids goal of building 
1000 mermaids reef modules and putting them in the ocean. So that's the goal of that one that's launching completely on its own separate from some of them on our website. So we actually have a website domain dedicated to that part of the project. So we'll see how it goes. We're almost done. The website's actually up. It's a thousand mermaids.io. So it's pretty much ready to go soon. Yeah, definitely done. That's great. And how much does each of those 1000 mermaids modules, how much they cost to make, just to get an idea of how much you're trying to waste. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially each individual sculpture, if you're doing a custom new sculpture, it's seven to $10,000 because that's how it's set up as a pack. It's basically, you're not paying that it's like a hundred to 300, depending on what kind of NFT you get. And you, you have a percent chance of winning your own sculpture, or you get to come on a dive with us, or you get a plaque or you get an individual reef unit. So there's different levels and it's basically still randomized, but you get the digital art asset and you get the little mermaid. So it's a different approach of more like a, not a raffle, but it's, you have a chance of getting different things. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. And what are your goals besides launching that 1000 mermaids.io project? What else are you having coming up in the next six months or so? So actually next month, we're finally getting our reef out in the ocean for our city of Hollywood, a thousand mermaids reef. So we're building another thousand mermaids reef. We're really just expanding it because we're not expecting that the thousand mermaids project will just be in the one location. Our goal is to get to a thousand mermaids, but that could be throughout Florida, throughout the world. I think people get the perception that it's going to be a thousand sculptures right here when you get in the water. And that's not quite what we were thinking. Mm-hmm. We set a goal to at least get to a thousand over time. So our next expansion is the city of Hollywood artificial reef site that's going to be deployed mid-October. And we have our deployment dinner end of October for that to just celebrate these conservation and restoration events and then this artificial reef deployment. So that's what's next on the schedule. And then we'll be looking at a few other artificial reef projects moving forward. Awesome. That's great. And the city of Hollywood, are you just to get bearings in terms of geography? Where are you on the, the West Coast Gulf of Florida? Mexico side or are you on the East so Coast? So I personally live on the West Coast of Florida in Tampa, but I, most of our organizational works on the East coast of Florida, although we are looking to bring some projects to the West coast of Florida and internationally, all of our reef sites are in West Palm beach right now. And we've done natural reef restoration from Fort Lauderdale all the way down to the keys. So our next reef site with Hollywood will actually be next to Fort Lauderdale. So they're just North of it. Yeah. Cool. Very exciting. What are you currently learning right now? I really like reading and I've been trying to get into some different business oriented readings because I don't have as much of that background as a scientist. So I've been not necessarily struggling, but I think it would really benefit my organization to implement different business models more Mm -hmm. effectively. So I've been learning kind of different strategies for streamlining business approaches lately. (laughs) I'm hoping that'll help. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure. Well, being a entrepreneur, it's a lesson in learning a lot of different things in terms of business. So you start out with this great idea and then it's just, okay, now I got to figure out how to form a business around this thing. So it's all part of it. Awesome. And what is in terms of anybody in the audience who might be interested in growing their own green business or looking to start their own green business? What is one tip that you would give them in terms of being able to do that? I would say being adaptive. I thought for a while, oh, this has to be an nonprofit. And then I've now made considerations to do like a 
for benefit corporation, a B Corp plus the nonprofit. There's lots of benefits. I'd say I'd really suggest doing your research on what type of environmental services or what you're going to provide and then looking into what type of business would support that to the best efficiency. I've been able to get various grants, do different things as a nonprofit, which is nice, but there's also lots of benefits too for being a for-profit. So I'd say looking into like kind of your different strategies and diversifying and bringing on a good team that complements you with different backgrounds. Definitely. Thank you. And who would be the perfect partner or somebody who you'd be interested in reaching out to, working with in terms of for your core reef projects or other projects that you have in the works? Lots of people. I like to say, I mean, I can work with anyone. So anyone who's <laughs> interested, let me know send me an email. We need the help from everyone, honestly, and from graphic design to even video editing. Videos can have huge impacts on bringing awareness, but in terms of people that we typically will engage with actually creating a project, that's typically individuals or hotels or coastal developers. From an individual standpoint, definitely people can create their own reef, their own plaque. They can come help volunteer. There's lots of ways to engage. That's at least the really good thing is we have a variety of things people can do depending on their abilities and time and what they want to invest. Yeah. Definitely. That's awesome. And how can somebody reach out to you if they're interested? What is the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, they can definitely send me an email. My email is shelbyoceanrescuealliance.org and they can visit our website. We also have social media. So we're all pretty, pretty responsive on all platforms, but email would probably be be the preferred. So anyone's welcome to email me and check out our website. It's oceanrescuealliance.org. And then our other website for the mermaids project is a thousand mermaids.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, Shelby, for coming on the show. It's been really awesome having you on talking all about Ocean Rescue Alliance and what you guys are doing to really help conserve our oceans and really help build habitats for marine life, which is really awesome and desperately needed. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you, Billy. It's nice to chat with you. I appreciate it. And if you enjoyed this interview with Shelby Thomas and Ocean Rescue Alliance and how they are bringing art back into artificial reefs, then I invite you to check out this interview with Mariska Nell. She creates beautiful pieces of art completely out of waste raising awareness for just how much waste we produce and that waste is just a resource that has been misplaced. So make sure you check out this entire interview with Mariska and open up your mind to the idea that waste can have a new life after it's thrown away. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Green Business Impact Podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing your weekly dose of climate positivity. In a world that constantly inundates you with the negative things happening, it can be great to take a break and hear some great things happening in the world. Make sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app to stay up to date with the latest and best interviews of the top minds in the green industries. And if you are interested in launching your own podcast to make an even larger impact on the world, then look no farther than the podcasting platform that I use here to launch every single episode of Green Business Impact, Podbean. I searched through all the different podcasting platforms out there and the best choice by far was Podbean. They give you truly the best value and all the resources you need to spread your message to the world by easily connecting you to all the different podcasting networks like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all of them. And they give you so many resources and opportunities to monetize it as well. 
So if you are on the fence about which podcasting platform to go with, make sure you check out the link in the description below to register your podcast with Podbean. Thanks again, and we can't wait to see you back here next time for another hit of Climate Positivity.